Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and I'm your host, Cole Sharman. Today, we are joined by Dan Raywood. Dan is the contributing editor of InfoSecurity magazine. He has written about IT security since 2008, having spent five years as news editor of the SC magazine, 20 months as editor of IT Security Guru, and six months as an analyst in the information security practice at 451 Research. He has spoken at 44Con. Securite, Stillcon, and InfoSecurity Europe, as well as writing for a number of vendor blogs and. Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long held relationships, industry knowledge, and data driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Hi, Dan, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you very much. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Chichester in West Sussex back in the mid-70s and um, found my way to London eventually. <laughs> Who are or were your parents? Um, so my parents actually originally were from Yorkshire. Um, my mum worked in a number of retailers and my dad actually worked for BT. He's retired now. Um, so you could argue that even though I've ended up in security somehow, um, he's actually in technology somehow. He actually was in BT, so he was surrounded by computers from when I remembered, like, through the early 80s. What was your education like? I think pretty standard, I think. You know, I was doing... Um, I was in the sort of the early days of GCSEs, which seems incredible to say now. But, uh, yeah, pretty standard. I mean, in terms of subjects I was interested, I was very interested in history, which I still remain now. Um, English wasn't much of a kind of a... Didn't take. We didn't do computing courses when I was. I did my GCSEs back in the early nineties, and I didn't do um, a lot of, of computing when my, my school didn't offer computing. But they did offer was media studies, so, and I was had a real interest in journalism from when, from when then. And I, yeah, to reiterate something I did say in another podcast, the, the big influence for me getting into journalism was Superman. Okay, particular Superman too, the uh, the Christopher Reeve film, because if you you remember this, the um, in I think the opening sort of sequence in Superman two, um, he arrives at the office to be sent immediately to Paris because someone's got a hydrogen bomb on the Eiffel Tower, and I remember looking at as a kid thinking, wow, imagine working into work and suddenly being sent to Paris rather than walking in on a Monday morning and know exactly where you'll be Friday night, and that's that's what got me into journalism. So that, that's a true fact. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm literally about to say how did you get into journalism and you probably probably a good place to start after that story was how did you then follow it up once you've got motivated yeah good point I know I was yeah I followed the kind of work of, of careers advisors at school really and um, it, it's kind of a tricky one because I'll get into a second about why I think sort of things have changed now but in terms of then I, I talked to careers advisors and I remember like, like local newspapers and trying to get work experience, most of which I actually got turned down for, um, which is a real shame because you know I think I'm quite an advocate of, of companies offering internships and work placements in cybersecurity anyway. So I tried that, but what I used to do again, my dad was always you know we always had computers at home, um, most of which were kind of you know there was no Commodore 64s. No, until we, until we got the Mega Drive, but uh, yeah. there was no Commodore 64s, but there was kind of programming computers. So 
I learned a little bit of coding, um, nothing I ever used professionally. But what I did do learn how to type very well, and, uh, which is a real good skill now. And um, what I used to do actually was just kind of write um, fake, fake news, it's the wrong sort of thing, write, write articles, just like, you know, with, with opinion pieces almost, um, most of which were on football. So I was a big football, I still remain a very large football fan. So just write up kind of um, like opinion pieces on football, just kind of learning how to sort of be adaptable to write and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it kind of started from there, and then I just did I did qualifications. Um, I did a two-year, so I did GCSE media studies. Uh, ended up doing a two-year HND in journalism. That was from Barnsley College. Graduated from there in '98. Did a one-year to get to the degree level in media studies. That was in from the University of Worcester. And then it started the long slog of trying to find my first job. Which so this was in between '99 when I started my first job in 2001. Um, getting into journalism then was a real challenge. And the reason why is because you had a lot of people trying to get into an industry. Now, back in 2000, 2001, there was a lot of journalism jobs going. Uh, yeah, but the thing was, thing, and it's probably, I don't know if it's so much the case now, what employers want is they want experience. They don't, you know, you could walk in with a degree in journalism and you could have, you know, a, you know, qualification, you know, signed by um, Paul Foote or something like that, or even, you know, Paul Dacre, depending on what your preference is. But the issue with... Um, with journalism generally back then is that you had to try and find a way to actually get your, your way in. And I said, because I wasn't given the opportunities with, with really good work experience, uh, that was going to be a problem. What I was able to do as part of my college course at Barnsley was to do um, a couple of work experience placements though. Uh, did one at a local newspaper in Eastbourne and I did a week at the NME. And while neither, one, one got me a lot of doing lots of court reporting, the other one basically sat me in office doing a lot of copywriting of... Um, uh, music refuse um, it gave me that office environment which was really valuable so um, yeah I got my first job in 2001 and professional career started so I'm pushing 17 and a half years now working in cyber security so actually it was, it was completely my accident to be honest um, it was um, I was uh, so April 08 I'd been working at a magazine so I'd been so my first job in 2001 running up to um, I went about th- four or five magazines in about seven years through various, you know, different, working in different companies and things like that. And between April 07 and April 08, I had a, a job which I was credit completely revitalised my career. I worked for a magazine called Mortgage Introducer as a reporter. I'd been an editor and I stepped back to being a reporter. And this was, the first six months were kind of the, still the glory days of, of um, financial sort of times, not the financial times, but financial age where there was a lot of money around, there was a lot of schmoozing of journalists and you know, I worked with a lot of the mortgage lenders. Um, there was still this big subprime market and um, it, was, it was fantastic. And about six months in, the um, Northern Rock applied for their emergency uh, funding bailout and everything changed <laughs> overnight. Yeah. I had six months where all those kind of big nights out ended and all of a sudden the stories we were writing about was about mortgage lenders pulling their... Um, um, and the, I think a bunch of them offered 125% mortgages, saw them pull them. We saw a bunch of lenders pull their 100% mortgages. We saw vent, um, lenders, sorry, lenders and vendors, lenders go out of, of business. And yeah, it was really hard. And unfortunately, the, the company I worked for, uh, its three magazines were all mortgage publications. <laughs> so it kind of put all its eggs in one basket. And unfortunately, the company um, went out of business. So I found myself in another job for a short while. And when I was out of work in, I think it was July 08, a recruitment agent just said, oh, I've got this opportunity on this magazine, um, security magazine. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, do you want to do some temp work? And I'm like, 
it's a job, isn't it? I was out of work, you know, it was like two days a week, and it's called SC Magazine. I'm like, right, okay, well, yeah, yeah, sure, down in Hammersmith. So, um, yeah, I um, basically, I sort of did two days a week, and eventually, guess I did a pretty good job that I was able to actually, um, yeah, get a full-time job there. Going into a different industry, such as cybersecurity, so you mentioned that you were so passionate about football, so your knowledge base when you're writing about that will be, you know, quite good. But looking at it for a cybersecurity point of view, an industry that's seen as quite complex, how did you build up your knowledge base very quickly to be able to write about it? Yeah, that, that, that's always a bit of a tricky one, you know. When, when I say when I came into mortgages, I didn't know anything about mortgages, and yeah, I managed to last a year and learn stuff pretty quickly. Um, there is an element, of, actually, I remember from my very, very first the first job I got, the interview, I remember he had a sign on the wall saying, don't be too open-minded, your brain might fall out. But I actually did <laughs> cite that to him, and I think he, that's one of the things he liked, which gave me the job. And I remember actually looking at the, um, uh, you know, considering you know, if you're actually prepared to learn, and um, actually you know, prepared to sort of consider and learn and read and listen and just try and... To, I just try to have a lot of meetings with people. I just try to kind of just learn about stuff and... I'll be honest, one of my favourite websites is Wikipedia because often I, I, someone tries to comes up with a new term and I'm just like, kind of, what on earth does OSINT mean? O-S-I-N-T. I, I know now because <laughs> I've picked yeah. it up. And the concept of open source intelligence, which basically means the sort of stuff you're putting out there about yourself that people um, you know, need to know about or people can find out about you. So I thought, okay, that's one thing. So I've learned about that. And it's ditto OPSEC, ditto, and even just start technologies. But... One of the things I really like about cybersecurity as an industry is it's full of people who want to explain stuff. Now, I'm not saying everyone's a know-all, but with, with a strong vendor community, with a lot of users, analysts who are prepared to share their knowledge, that is a really strong way forward that you can go and learn stuff very, very easily. What would you say is more important then, knowledge or connections? That's a good question. I would probably say connections. Because they'll give you the knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so I would, I think, yeah, I think the thing is, in, in, in this industry, yeah, you, you could actually just get by with purely with knowledge, but I think to get ahead, you need to kind of have um, mentors, kind of accidental mentors almost. You know, you want to kind of have people who can influence you. So, you know, I, I've got a number of people I, I, I look at who I think I've seen them presenting in the past, and I think that's the kind of thing I'm going to emulate, and I'd make no, no, no <laughs> sort of secret of that. Um, alternative, you know, I look at um, podcasters and whatever, and I'm thinking, you know, what, what are they doing that I think is really good that I can effectively kind of take influence from is one word for, you know, mm. or, you know if I can borrow that idea. So, yeah, I, I, think there's, there's a, I think it's important to have good connections, but it's not hard to make them. I think if you're prepared to go out there and actually find something, uh, find the right people, and, you know, and as a journalist, it's not always easy. A lot of people are quite wary of, of the press. People think that, you know, especially things like um, phone hacking stories haven't really helped the journalist very much yes. because he doesn't have a lot, a lot of trust. But, um, yeah, that, that can be quite challenging. But generally, I think, you know, good connections will help you get a long way. Now, you broke some big stories, including some of the early parts of GDPR with the EU's mandatory data breach disclosure law, um, some of the campaigns of Anonymous, uh, and many major breaches. What would you say, for you, was the turning point in engagements for people to actually start recognising cybersecurity? Wow. Um, 
It's probably quite hard to pick one. I think what, what I find quite interesting is when I look at um, cases like um, Anonymous, the, uh, the hacktivist group, and when I find that people, I could make a comment about Anonymous and people get it, and they get that whole thing. The, the, uh, two, two cases I'll point to as well. Number one, ransomware. Now, this isn't a particular ransomware case in, in general. This is, sorry, in specific, a more general case of ransomware. What my friends would say to me, is this ransomware thing um, real? And I'm, yeah, it is actually. This is long before WannaCry. And I said, okay, so, so how do you get out of it? I said, well, number one, yeah, your cyber hygiene. Don't click on links that, you know, cl- delete the emails that you don't trust. Don't just open random links from people you don't, you don't know. And... Um, also, you know, I said the main thing is just try and keep a backup of what you do. I try and make a real habit of backing up um, all the time, especially sensitive materials like a slide deck, which is a or research, which is a huge pain if you were to lose that. So that's one. The other one I think was a real changing point was the Sony Pictures attack, which I think was around Christmas 2014, um, where the, the office was effectively closed down and um, by a cyber attack, the uh, Guardians of Peace, and. Um, of course, one of the rumours, I don't know if it's ever substantiated or not, was it was North Korean sort of state actors behind that. Again, I don't know if that's true. But I was actually, um, this was just before Christmas. At Christmas 2014, I was up with my friend's parents in a um, in, uh, suburb of Glasgow. And the first thing is, guys, uh, Ray, he's probably about pushing sort of 70, maybe nearly 80 now. And the first thing he said to me, so, Dan, was it North Korea? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he knows, I mean, yeah, okay, he's getting what he's read from the national press, but it's like that straight away, that first question, was it North Korea? And it's like, you know, that's the thing I've got to justify. Yes. And I get that from my parents now. My parents won't know about some of the more intricate details of, of some of the stories, but they'll know about what they've seen on the national press. I can imagine. Mm, definitely, yeah. <laughs> Must make dinner time very, very intriguing, <laughs> well, some of the conversations. Well, I try and engage, my wife works in law, and I try and kind of explain stuff to her. Some, some of the things she's really interested in, for example, you know, I talk about the women in security, which she's very mm. interested in kind of the, the diversity side. She's obviously very interested in, in some of the kind of the more, more sort of stunt hacking things, but yeah, kind of the more day-to-day businessy things, kind of a doesn't always express the most interest shall we say she was sort of, sort of maybe isn't really of interest to her but you know that, that's the way the public are they're not going to be interested in every single thing we write about but some of the more wider known um, stories are going to be popular to, um, to, to the, the greater population of course so, so what would you say cybersecurity means to you um, I'd say to me it kind of well, it means Going back to you know, your earlier question about SC Magazine, yeah, so I joined there in 08, um, and I've literally, in, in we're recording yeah, sort of here at InfoSec in, in early June, and in just over two months, I'll have been 10 years in this career, in this industry. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah I'll be, um, well, actually, it's funny, this is actually my 10th InfoSec in a row, InfoSecurity Europe in a row, um, which is, yeah, quite monumental, because I've, uh, you know, I've, Okay, yes, it's, a, it's a, a great conference that I now work with the team who organised this as, as part of uh, the company that owns the magazine I work for and also the show. Um, but it's, it's a show that's happening in the city I live in and in the industry I work in, so I can't really not go <laughs> in a yes. way. But uh, yeah, no, it is good to do it. But yeah, in terms of 10 years in, in the industry, I mean, it's kind of one of those things you think, okay, you know, is this... I said I worked in mortgages for a year and because the kind of the bottom fell out of the industry, there wasn't a lot of publishing going around next job I actually worked in was, was a magazine for the payroll and HR issues and I didn't go straight to mortgages and it's like okay why did that not work out but well, why have I stuck in cyber and I'm kind of 
I've been very fortunate in this, that this is my fourth job in this industry. And each one I've kind of been pulled into yeah. <laughs> as a result of, a, of an offer. And yeah, so to me, I guess it probably, the one thing it probably means to me is kind of career, really. Mm. You know, I, I have, you know, every now and again, I stop and think, you know, is this, is this where I'm going to be in 10 years' time, another 10 years, <laughs> 20 info section in a row? I've absolutely no idea. But what, um, you know, for me now, it means the kind of the opportunities to actually go and, um, and learn more and try and learn what we're doing. From your view of cybersecurity, well, actually, interesting. We actually did a um, some research recently, which I presented on here at Infosec, and we actually asked that question of like, what is cybersecurity in? Do you think it's in a good or bad state? And the majority of people said it was kind of in between. <laughs> no yeah. one was really prepared to say that it was in a great. Some some did. Something it's it's getting better, and the reasons for that is the kind of development of well, they uh, recognition by the wider media. The um, sort of the, the various government departments so we now see the development of the NCSC they've been there for about 18 months I think um, and they're certainly kind of outreach to industry is, getting, is looking really good now um, in terms of the negative side you can see one of the common discussion points is that um, lots of money is spent on cyber security and you know we're here at Info Security Europe there's a huge hall out there full of exhibitors uh, all selling products and services and solutions to, 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 to issues and the issue there is that but attacks are still successful, data breaches keep on happening. And that's kind of one of the, the negative sides is like, well, things aren't getting any better, are they really? And it's like, yeah, they're getting much worse. So that's where we kind of sit in the middle in terms of where, where things are. Personally, I, I, I do see improvements, but then it's, yeah, you can weigh that up and you can see, for example, large breaches at Uber, Equifax, Deloitte in, in 2017. Um, at the point of recording yesterday, we, we are reporting on a, a genealogy website, I think it was. 92 million records lost, um, data records lost. Yeah, there are things getting better. It's hard to say that they are, but what we're seeing now is it, uh, the boards now recognizing cybersecurity is a key trend. And I think that's really important that if the business recognizes that cybersecurity is, is important, then you know, it drives hopefully industry forward as well. Just on that word trend, what would you say is, let's use the word trendy, in cybersecurity right now? Well, so I'll just tie in some research which, um, which Winfo Security did recently. And we, we did a survey which I've been presenting here at Info Security Europe on. Why? Because that's the money we got in the time we had. We'll try and push that out wider sort of later on. Um, and yeah, we, what we did was I, I did an interview all these people and I said, you know, what, what's the driver for cybersecurity kind of now? and like what's going to drive things in the future. And the, the top five I've actually got here, um, so of the respondents, 46% said it was GDPR and kind of data protection regulation and legislation. 34% said expanding threat landscape and attacks. 21% said greater board level recognition of cybersecurity. 18% um, said selling via what we call FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt and panic, uh, and the sort of bad image that cybersecurity's got. And another 21% said use of the cloud and kind of infrastructure as a service like Microsoft Azure and AWS. So those are kind of the five things that we've been determined by our industry respondents that have actually been kind of kind of key. So yeah, I mean GDPR has been the big trend. Like you said you know, earlier on, you know, I was I've been writing about this since 2012. And um, yeah, it, it's still been a big trend. And the deadline was May 25th. And it's going to continue to be a, a trend, I think. But now we're looking at what's going to be the next changing point, I think. 
What would you say is driving these changing points? Um, I think with GDPR in particular, and also with privacy, I think you've got to look at things like the Facebook um, Cambridge Analytica story. The reason why that's a factor, because then I think made people realise how their um, how the data is being shared. And I think there's a lot of stories out there you can point to about how data is is uh, you know collected and shared around the internet. And actually, I think the GDPR and all the emails we all got proved actually how much your data has been around in the past. So I think that's been quite quite key. Um, I think generally, I, I, I've always kind of thought, I think people are quite aware of their privacy, probably because of the phones they use and the devices, the mobile devices they use, because ultimately, you know, they're built inherently securely. And I know some people go and do go and jailbreak them, that's, that's their decision. But ultimately, I think people understand through Facebook privacy and you know, the privacy of their photos. I think people get that. But I think the privacy of their personal data is now probably being shown to them through, I say that Cambridge Analytica story and through um, through other things. I'm not saying the entire kind of globe really gets that, but generally I think it's it's that's driving uh, the public at large is is actually understanding how their data is used and when stuff like Uber and Equifax and hundreds of millions of records are breached in in other attacks. Yeah, I think people do 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 see numbers, but they do see the reality of what's actually lost. So just lining that up with, with the original question I asked, do you see um, GDPR improving the industry? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to improve things for... It is improving because it's, it's, it's the law now. Yes. I think it's the, um, the, the problem that you, what the issue you've got there is that um, people now realise how their data is being used and how privately it's stored and, and that sort of thing. And I think some, I mean, I don't know how much national press coverage it was given, certainly from, from our perspective, I'll get on to a second, from the industry perspective, but from a national perspective, now that you know, people have much more access or much more visibility in how data is used around, is stored around them, what is stored about them, what is shared about them. And yeah, it's a, it's a very big deal. Um, in terms of the industry perspective, obviously the, the big problem there was companies trying to meet compliance, which the conversations I had with some really... Um, really key uh, experts on GDPR suggested to me that actually um, there's not a huge amount to do if you're already compliant with the 1998 Data Protection Act, which is 20 mm. years old. Um, it was the kind of the sort of, going back to another trend, the sort of the fear, uncertainty and doubt that no one will be compliant. Now, there will be fines, no doubt, but what other conversations I've had, people said that nothing's going to happen for about six months, so we're looking at probably end of the year before we really start covering this again, which is good for me, because we got a bit of a stage of like, you know, we're a bit done with this angle, you know, yes, yes. there is a lot of problems, but now it's the law and you've got to comply with it. 100%. You said something in terms of your stats, um, it was about the bad image of yeah. security. Yeah. Can you influence that as, a, as someone in the media? I hope so. I mean, ultimately, we're kind of reporting on, uh, you know, what people say. And we're very fortunate here in Post Security Magazine to kind of go around the world, different conferences, and actually, you know, cover uh, conferences a bit like Post Security Europe and some of the other ones as well. And, you know, cover what things are said. You know, what we, it's, it's tricky as a journalist at the moment because you have this concept of fake news. Hopefully, you know, what we're covering is all substantiated and nothing's invented, so that doesn't really affect us. But yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, it's a good point that you're, you are sort of at the point where you're 
influencing the readers because you know they might take everything you say as kind of gospel really and, and understand that but generally I would look at uh, the role of the media to be quite critical at the moment because you know we can pick and choose the companies we can pick and choose the companies that are actually um, yeah, that we, we feature, for example, now, obviously that comes down to lots of PR, you know, and mm. it might come down to relations, so, you know, a PR company that we work with, uh, an existing company might sort of say, we're working with this new company, uh, do you want to talk to them? I was like, well, I'm have a conversation, and it's like, you know, is that product unique and uh, yeah, different enough for us to think our readers are going to hear about that? That's a, a call we have to make. At the same time, you know, we could do that, we could write about that, and our readers might go to that going, yeah, I heard about them, not massively interested, and move on. So you do have a responsibility as the media to actually how the industry works. Um, in a previous job to Info Security, I worked with 451 Research as an industry analyst, where I was literally doing that. And I was taking briefings with vendors about how the technology works, and then you reinterpret that for your subscribing readers. So, yeah, it's a, um, yeah, it is, it is a heavy responsibility you've got to, you've got to consider, but at the same time, there is a lot of press about, and... You know, we're here as hopefully a very trusted resource. What predictions are you giving for the industry over the next three to five years? Well, that's actually come from our research as well, so I can give you some exact, <laughs> um, some exact points on, on where things are going. And um, again, with this survey we did, um, these were the top six. So um, from sort of greatest, um, 34% said GDPR, another 34%, 34% also said greater use of, of cloud platforms and IAAS. 28% um, said a adoption of AI and automation. 28% also said increased creativity of attacks. 25% um, said increase of IoT. And then 18% said about hiring. Now you could argue hiring is quite key because that way you hire the people to enable all those kind of um, technologies to work. Um, of so from that, I mean, yeah, GDPR will drive things forward. Um, the use of cloud is actually quite important because then you're talking about outsource security and also things like AWS and Azure, actually very secure platforms. But the issue you have, you can roll up your own instance, your own kind of private cloud as a user with a credit card, store your data in there and your corporate IT and corporate security don't have any visibility of that. So that's a real problem. Quite a big trend over the last 12, maybe even two years, 12 months, two years. Um, the use of automated technologies to actually enable to make the decisions for you. Because again, if you're bombarded with alerts and, and attacks, vectors that you can't do anything about, then if you've got a technology which can recognize a pattern attack and do something about that, then that, that's a way forward. What's been quite key, and I attended a really good talk about this here at Info Security Europe by Google Vector Networks. They were saying that actually it's requiring more people because of the way that things work. And it doesn't involve a lot of what we call machine learning, training the machine to recognize the pattern. So it does involve a lot of work, but that's a kind of a continuing trend. And I think actually walking around this show, you're seeing that, that trend quite a lot. How do you see cybersecurity evolving? in the next five years as an industry itself? I think I see it being taken a lot more seriously by, by businesses, by governments, by sort of the public really. I think you know, the, the evidence is there to actually suggest that um, 
the government and our governments are now taking it seriously. You know, we see the NCSC set up in the UK. We see US um, Department of Homeland Security, obviously, is very key in the NSA. All the different divisions in the US, we see different companies around, different organizations around the world um, setting up um, centers to actually share information. Now, this isn't kind of going back to 2013 with like the Snowden revelations of sharing. This is more about actually enabling governments rather than kind of, you know, monitoring people. So I think that's going going forward. I think one of the results from our um, our research yesterday that the board recognition is actually quite a big thing because then you're talking about um, CEOs of companies where they're not even a cybersecurity company. It could be a, a bank, for example, recognizing that cybersecurity is a major business risk and they, they're actually doing something about that. Beforehand, you know, the image of the, the IT department comes from, you know, like the, the IT crowd sitcom where, you know, people sort of sit in the basement and, uh, <laughs> you know, just tell people to restart their computers. That, that's kind of, um, yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's the image that a lot of people have. And I did attend a, a talk here where someone did use a clip and everyone laughs because it's unfortunately very true. But generally, I think that the acceptance of cybersecurity as a major business risk is, is a real, real step forward, I think, for, for the cybersecurity industry aware of security? Well, there are steps being put in place. So one of the great examples to look at is America in October, Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Um, now, my issue with that, I don't know how widely it's known about, even accepted in, in that country. Um, in the UK, we have a number of initiatives called Get Safe Online and Cybersecurity Awareness Programs. My, I really think that Get Safe Online is, is a great idea, but my problem is, is how widely are they getting out and being seen? Now, the problem with, with an awareness week is there's 52 weeks in a year, and if it's only being seen for one week, the 51 weeks of the year, no one's, is anyone actually paying attention to this? So that's, that's my kind of concern, really, is if you're going to get people taking it more seriously, you've got to kind of have visible ways of doing things. There was about 2012-ish, I think here in the UK, maybe 2013, there was a thing called Cyber Streetwise, which the government rolled out, which is kind of um, national advertising campaigns and that kind of thing, where people were, um, you know, it's sort of like you wouldn't uh, reuse a, a tooth, an old toothbrush, why reuse an old password? It's like, I, I get the sentiment, but that doesn't mm. really work. You know, people don't people use reuse passwords because they're convenient and they're easy. Yes. It's easier to remember one than remember five hundred. That's that's the factor that goes on about cybersecurity. But the fact is that you know stuff like password managers do exist for a reason. And how do, how do we get people to sign up to one password manager and convince them that password manager is secure? <laughs> so yeah. these, these are kind of the issues that I think we're facing. You know. You were like, here's a solution, but here's another problem. And you're just like, oh, you know, how do we fix these problems, really? You know, so that, that, that's, that, 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 nothing's ever resolved, really. It, it, everything's got to face a new challenge. But generally, I think that there is a wider acceptance of cybersecurity, you know, internationally, anyway. Mm. Talking about problems, how do we improve the state of cybersecurity as an industry? I think that there's a lot of collaboration done. I think we... I think we're going in the right direction. I think that the um, creation of the National Cybersecurity Centre here in the UK, I think, is a, is a really good step forward. What we need to do is have organisations like, like that and different government departments working closely with industry, um, getting out to industry, getting out you know, advice on how to deal with things. I mean, we don't really have a UK cert anymore because of the NCSC's formation. 
Um, while the US and, and some other nations have a, a computer emergency response team, the CERT, the, um, in the case of the NCSC, they're the one passing out advice. So in the event of, a, of another kind of WannaCry, uh, the big ransomware from May 17, then you've got to deal with uh, how do you actually um, how do you respond? Now, NCSC was only in its infancy when that really came out. They're only about three months old, I think. In the event of something like that happening again, which could well happen, they need to roll out advice to people and actually know how to to deal with it. So, I think I think the role of of public sector, I think, is really crucial in that. Mm. What will be the next big to- topic in cybersecurity? Do you think? Um, that's quite a difficult one. Um, because, yeah, I mean, we kind of did those top five way things are going forward. AI is one, um, cloud is one, mentoring, hiring is, is another one. So generally, I think it's, um, I think it quite a lot of things are driving things forward. It's, yeah, you always, sometimes in security, we're a little bit thrown because, for example, in 2018, sorry, 2017, we saw the two um, WannaCry and the NotPetya ransomware attacks all of a sudden. Everyone thought ransomware was this kind of low-scale thing. All of a sudden, it's every newspaper in the, um, in the world is covering these attacks. And it, I mean, those in cybersecurity who have been covering this a while sort of thought, really? Ransomware? Is that what's hitting everybody? But that was the way. So it's kind of hard to know if a certain vector is used. Um, one person who I've spoken to in recent weeks has pointed out the concept of, of downtime and what he meant by that was the concept of taking a website which is purely reliant on being online all the time. So for example like Uber or even eBay or something like that where the business is entirely dependent on being online. Um, sort of attacks, what we call DDoS attacks where you, know, you, you overload the servers with, with data packets so it can't actually operate. That could be the next thing is where, where you have purely internet dependent businesses being there being taken offline that could be a real game changer if that sort of thing happens i think generally i'm kind of looking to try and represent the industry as best i can for the magazine i work for i'm um, always obviously you know trying to stay ahead of the news it's not always that possible because the news moves very very fast <laughs> yes um generally it's to try and you know try and talk to our readers as much as we as much as I can you know understand from them what they want to, what they need to know about what, what's affecting them so then we can reflect that back to um, the companies that want to talk to us so you know the vendors the uh, etc and you know, the people who want to try and sort of get us talking to them we can make that connection and we're actually addressing the right thing so generally yeah it's um, yeah it's a bit of a challenge to actually keep ahead of every single kind of piece of malware and every single attack vector but generally, it's um, yeah, it, it's tricky to keep ahead. But I think that the the main issue is how ahead of of the of the uh, you know, of the of the news circle are you really? Now, what I didn't tell you is we finish the podcast with the same ten questions okay. every time. You ready? Yes, I am. Yeah. So, what turns you on professionally? Um, I I mean, I'm a big podcast listener. I do. I really kind of try and squeeze in as many security podcasts as I can. That's it's all about the learning for me. So I think probably the biggest ten things on most is is trying to find new people and find new ideas and new things I should be covering. Really, what turns you off professionally? I think it's this. There's kind of a lot of people. Um, unfortunately, kind of still think that you know that, that we need to kind of step backwards all the time and sort of learn the basics. But unfortunately, from from what I've conversations about that is still a big thing. But I kind of get a bit bored with sort of the, like you know the same old same old. We do want to learn about new stuff and find new ways of 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 educating people. But 
it does seem sometimes that we do step backwards too much in terms of learnings for our audience. How do you unwind? Um, so I do about an hour commuting every day, uh, sorry, two hours there and back. So like I said, I'm a bit of a podcast listener, so I do sort of security ones in the morning and on the way home is when I sort of squeeze in some of the football ones. So that's my, uh, yeah, that's my kind of unwinding, I suppose. And um, I'm a bit of a sort of a mobile gamer. So if anyone's got any recommendations, tweet me <laughs> with, the, uh, with, with what you like, because I'm starting to get a bit bored of Candy Crush Soda. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Um, well, that's completely outside of cybersecurity. Um, well, obviously, that was the childhood dreams of being a, a rock star or a footballer. That's probably not going to happen now. But um, you never know. No, you never know. You <laughs> know well, yeah, well, yeah, Ian Wright didn't start playing until he was twenty-five. So there we uh, go. There you go. There's the example. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, it, to sort of to work in, in inside football would be, you know, would be a little bit of a dream. I know, I know of people who've worked, you know, covering press conferences with, with footballers, football managers, I think that would be really interesting. Apart from the, the journalism side, to, to work on the other side of football, I think would be really interesting. So um, who knows? Maybe there won't be one day. What activity gives you the most energy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I do find when I go to the gym, I'm kind of, you know, working out there. I do find, I, you know, it's one of those things when you go to the gym, you know, you kind of walk in there thinking, I can't be bothered, I can't be bothered. And then you walk out feeling really energised. So, um, yeah, I'd probably say any kind of exercise I actually get around to doing. Who is your biggest inspiration? Um, I got a number of people, really. I'm, you know, as people in this industry that I, I definitely uh, look, look up to as being real uh, kind of... Um, Influences, so I'll name people like Stephen Bonner, Javad Malik, um, Kai Rower, who has been real help to me this week in terms of trying to help me with my presentation, um, Wendy Nather. I would also say people like uh, Rowena Fielding, who I'm about to go and interview in a bit. So, yeah, people who are better stand up on a stage and kind of really be strong with their opinions and actually say, This is what I think and this is what, what I need to change. And also, just kind of generally, my, my dad, you know, he's been very kind of supportive of everything I've ever done. and. Um, you know, been a very uh, sort of key factor in my life in, you know, making sure we didn't kind of give up and, you know, we persisted in trying to sort of win things over even when maybe things weren't going the right way. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be a subject? Um, so I did do a, a speech back in April at B-Side Scotland on the sort of skills gap. So I've got some... some I've done that, but I think skills is a really interesting one. It's something we talk about a lot in cybersecurity is the shortage mm. of people. So for me, skills gap is um, is really important actually to try and address that. So yeah, so it probably would be people, I think would be the one word. You're at your best when you're doing what? <sighs> Concentrating probably. <laughs> and I've lost <laughs> concentration, I'm probably at my worst. We better finish quickly here. <laughs> if today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Um, just kind of that whole thing about don't really give up keep trying and kind of just you know persist really you know if it's something you want to do and you want to try and achieve then actually kind of keep at it really this is a million dollar question <laughs> if heaven is this what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates <laughs> that you um, uh, is it is really bad to say you picked the right football team Dan <laughs> and Spurs are God's football team that's a really possibly blasphemous thing for people to say <laughs> you know you made the right decisions would be hopefully one of the things he would say
Perfect, perfect. So how do people find you and your work? Sure, so if you want to find me, um, so the, the website I work for is infosecurity-magazine.com and um, that's where I do most of my, um, well, I do all my work to be honest with you. Um, you know, I do a lot of my webinars there, the writing I do. Uh, you can follow us at infosecuritymag. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on at, in, at Dan Ray, which is my name. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to find me is through that, that website and those social networks. Perfect. Thanks for your time, Dan. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thanks for you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe. And for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.